0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 95 of the Masterclass. My name is Cam, and I'm joined yet again by my good friend, Mr. David Hogue. What's up, man? Well,
1: actually, I should be asking you, how are you doing with the big loss? Really? You're going to go there to start the show? Oh, did you not want to? I'm sorry. (laughs) No, okay, so Dave is referring
0: um, to the Sweet 16 in this year's NCAA basketball, men's basketball tournament. Uh, The women's tournament is currently going on as well. Um and I am a Dyed in the wool University of Michigan fan. You can tell me that your school's better, but I won't believe you, and I'll give you <laughs> reasons why it's not. Um anyhow, uh, Michigan has been on quite the tear recently. They were a hot team. Yeah, going into the Big Ten tournament they had won ten out of twelve, and their two losses were an overtime loss on the road, and then the other losses on the road and Northwestern threw the ball the entire length of the court and laid it up with like Point four second. So, anyways, they won four games in four days after their plane couldn't take off and ran through the fence and across highway. Uh, won on to win four games in four days to win the Big Ten Tournament, which they haven't done since the inaugural Big Ten Tournament in 1998. Wow. They get to the NCAA Tournament, Win a really tight game against Oklahoma State, won a really tight game against Louisville, who they lost the national championship game to in 2013.
1: And Louisville's ranked two.
0: Louisville was a two-seed, Michigan was a seven-seed. And they played their sweet 16 game just before I came over here tonight against number three seed Oregon, and they lost 69 to 68. And our senior point guard had a three-point shot for the win and was about two inches long and missed. Really realize you probably didn't need that much backstory, but it is what it is. It is what it is. And I am wearing my Michigan hat, and it was the first thing Dave noticed when I walked through his <laughs> <the> front door. <laughs> So, all that to say, go blue! Congrats on the Big Ten tournament title. Congrats on beating Louisville. Yeah, they, really, they had season. a good yeah, yeah. Started off hot, middles rough, ended on an absolute tear. Probably playing some of the best basketball in the country.
1: Yeah, and I, I, they were kind of my team that I was like, I think they're going to go to the finals, but uh okay, you weren't so there.
0: No, my bracket, I had, I actually in my bracket had them over Louisville. And that was more of like a come on guys, like, we can beat this team. <laughs> and then I was like, well, if they're going to beat Louisville. Sure, they, they can probably beat, beat Oregon because one of Oregon's best players was out. Um, but I had them losing to KU in the Elite Eight, even though they
1: always beat KU in the tournament. So, oh wow. Yes, and I am rooting strongly against KU. Yeah, I wouldn't say that for I'm two reasons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dave's Dave's not a KU fan, even though no. he, we both live very close.
1: Too, that it's kind of an ugly campus, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, I think it is. But (laughs) some of the parts are pretty rough. (laughs) They did, you know, Doctor James Naismith, the inventor of the inventor of basketball, is from Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, he's actually from Lawrence. Well, I don't know. He's from Massachusetts. He's from somewhere out east, I think, Massachusetts. But he was at KU when he yeah, and well, anyway. He's actually buried in Lawrence, Kansas. And
0: I thought you were about to say Allen Fieldhouse and I
1: was about to get really creeped out. <laughs> no, he is he is uh he's buried in Lawrence, Kansas and there is a um 30 for 30 on getting the original rules to basketball back in Lawrence and they built an entire Addition to Allen Fieldhouse for to house the rules to basketball is his
0: tombstone a backboard and is there a rim attached to it? Because that needs to happen. (laughs) No, there's
1: not. I mean, why wouldn't there be? (laughs) Because I don't think there was actually a hole in the basket.
0: Oh, still the just like actual basket. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. So that's been Sports Corner on this edition (laughs) of Masterclass.
2: Uh, What else is going on? Anything else that we should talk about?
1: Oh, I don't know. Is there? (laughs) There's all kinds of things going on. I don't know. Let's see what's podcast relevant. Healthcare and... yeah.
2: Hmm. Trying to think if there's... My sister's in town. She says hi, by the way. Hi, Rachel. She's
0: been on an episode or two in the past. She's with my wife at a LuLaRoe party tonight, buying some, I'm assuming, ridiculously patterned clothes. I don't know.
1: I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's the new hotness, apparently. It's the new hotness. I don't know.
0: Meredith has leggings that have cats on them.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: And if you know my wife, that makes yes. 100% yes. absolute sense. Um, Any book recommendations or uh, other podcasts or music or anything that you think other people might enjoy?
1: Um, I finished listening to not reading, uh, the Insanity of Obedience by Nick Rip Ripkin, who did the Insanity of God. I think was the other one.
0: It's a the theme he's got going. Yeah.
1: There? Well, it is. It's kind of some crazy stuff. Um, I will say that the Insanity of Obedience is a good book. It is. I believe the audience is aimed at people who are missionaries in places where the church is persecuted, heavily persecuted. So I think it's designed towards uh, missionaries to like the Middle East and to China, um, Muslim countries, things like that. Uh, And it's, it's very, um, it's very convicting. Um, it's interesting some of the patterns that he points out um again, i over the last couple of years have personally been on an interesting journey challenging some of the things that I've believed or held important, and it's find God kind of shaking my world a little bit, but in that vein, just some of the things that we as Western Christians do uh, when it comes to the persecuted church that he really, there's, there's some rebuking going on, uh, in this book and, um, kind of, a an element that I've, um, really kind of this whole, this concept of, uh, if you're, if you're working to make yourself comfortable, you're really not doing what you probably should be doing in Christ. And I will just be very candid that I do a lot of things to... I find my priority is, well, how do I make myself comfortable in this? Versus embracing what God has, realizing that being a Christian in this world is probably not a comfortable thing. And this is talking about, and that's the thing that's so convicting about this book, is he kind of is like, look, these people are going across the world to do this. I know some of you aren't called to do this, or most of you are not called to do this. And while his audience is, I believe, the missionary going to the persecuted church around the world, he's he kind of has this, I almost want to say it's a jab. I don't think it's completely meant that way, but... Why aren't you walking across the street and knocking on your neighbor's door and telling him about Jesus? Kind of, you know,
0: because they won't sit next to me at this at the uh, street parade, <laughs> the block party.
1: So yeah, it's just it's it's really good, and it's it, I, I believe it's written. I, I believe this and Nick Ripkin is not his real name. Um, it's a pen name, but he also has Nick Ripkin, so I guess it's kind of an alias that he's embraced. Uh, you know, it's just um it's very convicting because I, I think we um as Americans we live in a how do I make myself comfortable comfortable mentality it's the American dream it is the American dream so yeah I've been
2: thinking a lot about that um recently and
0: and even in our discussion before we started recording we were talking about this a little bit was the the integration of the american dream and christianity and how in certain parts of the country they
2: are um un uh unable to be pulled apart. Mhm. They are one and the same.
0: And um I just have been really struggling with that as you know this we are, you know, post um inauguration and we have uh started to see, you know, with the healthcare bill that the Republicans can't figure out what they're gonna do. Um and just you are starting to see, um, at least I am, especially about where we live in the country and, and what the general population's tendencies are politically and religiously here
2: to be Republican and Christian. Which is very, very interesting to me the the concept that America comes before everything else. Even though these people are Christians. And I think that they believe that they are. Um and
0: they think it's completely okay to and we talked about this again on previous episodes to shut out the world's poor and needy and, um, afflicted and attacked and people that are refugees for, you know, whatever the, the crazy situation is, um, to the point where I saw, um, a tweet the other day and it said in, in, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, so I might get the reference wrong, but I think he said, uh, in Matthew 15, Jesus isn't, when Jesus refers to the uh, the least of these, he's not talking about the poor in general. He's talking about other Christians. And I wanted to throw my phone against the wall. And it was so it's Ken Jennings, the guy that won Jeopardy and won oh. like a bajillion dollars. He said, this week in uh, the worst people in the world telling Jesus how to be a Christian, colon. And then he replied or he retweeted this guy's tweet saying, and it's, and it's, I genuinely think that. The upper class, white, older men who are powerful in the Republican Party genuinely believe that. And then I see, you know, younger people in America following suit in that uh, uh, thought that America is great. We are God's chosen
2: country. And it really is about our. Um, glory almost is the word that Mm -hmm. comes to mind. And so I've just been, I've been really trying to
0: figure out why people that believe that, believe that, like, where are they getting this from? Why do they think that that's what the Bible says, that that's how Jesus operated. And then, and I'm trying to figure out why those on the liberal end think that the way that they do, um, and you know those that are are on the liberal end and are christians versus those that are on the liberal end and are not um and then, and i'm just trying to trying to understand the way that they're viewing this stuff because i can look at both sides and go you're wrong here you're wrong there you're right there you're right there you're both really wrong here you know but that's assuming that i'm right and so i think if
2: anything these past couple of months have really um I have jumped to a ton of conclusions and I've even tweeted or Facebooked some of them and people have reacted.
0: Um like I was like, okay, can we get rid of the Second Amendment now? Didn't actually really mean it, but didn't think it through enough and still posted it. <laughs> and of course all of my conservative friends think I'm crazy because I'm trying to take their guns away. I'm not, I don't actually mean it, but the point is like I'm trying to wrestle with all this and what does it mean to be a Christian now in a society
2: where nominal Christianity seems to be the norm where upper middle
0: class and upper class white people who are Christians and believe that they are Christians don't
2: really know what the Bible says and act in a way that proves it. And so that's just
0: that's kind of where I've been at with this whole like. Without even trying to get too political, you're trying to understand the landscape and how the, how we've arrived here. And I don't know if I'm ever going to understand that. You know, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm old enough or wise enough and have enough experience to be like, oh, this is how we got here. And but it's it's just something that I'm I'm very interested in because it, it's just so much head scratching for me. From, from both sides, if you want to polarize it like that. But I feel like a lot of people are just kind of in the middle going like, what in the world? Like, what do we do? We have no good options on either side, so we're just not going to vote, or whatever the case may be. And I don't know. I'm rambling now, but I think that's the point, <laughs> is I'm trying to just, I'm trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian uh, husband and dad and white man in middle, up, middle to upper middle class suburban America in Kansas where I really don't feel like I fit in a whole lot as far as like those of you are concerned. I, will, I have friends here. I get along great with the people I, I live around and hang out with. But when it comes to politics and religion working together or I feel like, I don't know. I, pff, I, that probably made no sense. <laughs> but that's how my brain is right now when I think about what it means to, you know, to try and understand Jesus in the Bible and also living where and when I I do. Yeah, and it's just a mess in my head. So if that was a mess that just came out of my mouth, that's why. <laughs> I
1: you know, and I I, I say I'm at, I'm at a similar position as you is I I look at people and I'm like I don't understand how you come to the conclusions that you're coming to. Um, I'm convinced that many of us, and I include myself in this, uh, don't know the Bible the way that we should. And if we do, it's not the application is just seriously missing. It seems like, um, in, I, I, you know, I think there there are a lot of things that, um, a lot of places where the church is dropping the ball, because if I think the church was doing what the church should be doing, um, one of the statistics that I heard in a book that I was listening to, and I can't remember if it was Nick Ripkins or not, was just basically kind of um, that, I, I hope this is correct and I believe it is, but essentially... There there are literally billions if not trillions of dollars for the American church. And 60% of the money that the Christian church has in America goes to a building in some form or another. Whether that be actually paying the mortgage or you know the paying the electric bill, whatever it may be, but 60% of church budgets ultimately get consumed by a church. And Boy, Jesus never, ever had a church. He never had a building, I should say, four walls that, you know, that that was the church. And anyway, I, I'm in agreement with you. I just, I feel like I'm sorting a lot of stuff up. I've, and here's the other thing. I feel like a lot of my, the, my Christian friends, the Christians that I'm around, it seems like a lot of people are wrestling uh, with a lot of stuff. And, um, I, I will say this is just a last thought here for me at this point. And, um, as I understand it, Trump has cut the budget for meals on wheels and giving for meals on wheels has like skyrocketed through the roof. And there's just this part of me. That's like, that's the point. Yes, people, there's a lot of things where this should happen. Instead of the government paying for it, let's quit funding it and let's step up as Christians and as human beings. Let's quit depending on the government for, to pay for all this stuff. And I feel like a lot of the things that I've seen on social media related to like Meals on Wheels and Trump cutting their budget has sort of been this well, we'll show you, we'll give them the money. And it's like, Exactly. Well, that's like what
0: happened when uh, his first travel ban went in. And the ACLU got like $24 million in donations in like three days.
2: And that's, yeah. I, I, I'm i all that's, for it. That's the voice of the people.
1: Yeah. And that's, and unfortunately, I guess it seems like that's how you vote in this country is with your dollar. I mean you really want to have an impact on somebody or something be very wise about where you spend your money because i think that can have a bigger influence on just about anything so
2: yep
0: the almighty dollar that's what america really <laughs> worships <laughs> unfortunately
2: yeah all right Well, that was unexpected. Sure. I feel like we should maybe get to our main topic now. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. That's
0: how I'm being led. How are you?
1: (laughs) I can embrace that. Mm.
0: Yes. I was trying to think of some other silly churchism to throw (laughs) in there, and I fell flat. I blame my Baptist upbringing.
1: (laughs) Whoa! 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 All right. Sleep in fear. You never know when Jesus is going to come back, Dave. <laughs> I, I, I have decided that I want to find me a, another T-shirt that says, Jesus coming. Look busy. <laughs> you know what we could do? <laughs> Just make our own. It's been. It's been. It's been. We're due.
0: I, gosh, I want to say it's probably been almost two years, a year and a half at least. Yeah. Since we made our She Bears T-shirts.
1: Yeah, it's probably right at two years. Um, we might have to consider
2: that. If you want a... Uh, Jesus is coming. Look busy t-shirt. <laughs> uh, let us know.
0: How can they let us know, Dave?
1: They can let us know by email at hello at supermegacorp.net or on Twitter directly to you at Cam Brennan C-A-M-B-R-E-N-N-A-N. Ooh, A-plus, Dave. <laughs> and I don't even remember what mine is anymore. I think it's at David J. Hoag. Yes. What have you done? <laughs> Come on. Um... And then is there an at Masterclass that they could? At Masterclass FM. At Masterclass FM. That has a lot of Twitter accounts. A lot of Twitter accounts. I um, think there's even a Super Megacorp one, too. Yeah, no one one follows
0: that account. (laughs) I think we have like 15 people. I shouldn't say no one. 15 very, very special individuals follow that account. Um, But a majority of people get their announcements through our other various channels, but yes. that's at underscore super megacorp because someone else stole super
2: megacorp. Um, real quick.
1: what does Jesus coming? Look busy actually mean?
2: Cause I feel like it's tongue in
0: cheek, but I feel like
1: there's, it is definitely tongue in cheek, but I had it when I was a youth pastor. <laughs> it was one of my favorite teachers. My senior pastor did not like it. <laughs> um, I, and see, even in that, I think there are just, there's so many levels to it. It's like an onion. You just peel back the layers and there's, um, you know, cause there there is, it is, I, I definitely think it's tongue in cheek, um, in terms of the whole, Hey, the boss is coming, look busy. But I also think it's like, but then, Hey, no, Really? Get to work. Look busy, Jesus is coming. Yes, yeah. exactly. There is that kind of like, oh, Which, <laughs> you know, we, we always like, we, you know, we have such respect for Jesus that he has more than one, when he's, you know, giving his answers and his parables, there's always more than one level. So, yeah. And there, so there is an ounce of truth to it in that, hey, Jesus is coming. Not so much look busy, but be busy. And I think that's even another thing that I... I Ebb and flow of just how we do life, and um, I definitely think we need to have margins. Margins. <laughs> so, margins. I need more
0: margarine in my life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> boundaries. We need boundaries. <laughs> uh, I don't even think I could say that word right now, um, but I also am like I. I think the American church, in particular, could be doing so much more, and. I used to even kind of poo-poo the whole, oh, dream big. Jesus wants you to dream big. But I do think we put a very awesome God into a box, and we don't expect God to show up and do mighty things. And I think we should be better about that. And again, it comes back down to we rely on our own dollar instead of (laughs) allowing him to provide. So... All right. Do you want to do the reading tonight? Since I feel like I've been rambling for many minutes. Mm. All right. The word of the Lord.
0: Matthew 26, 47 through 56. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the uh, chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss... Or sorry, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat at the temple teaching. You did not seize me. But all this had taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled.
1: Hmm some friends they were seriously man and these are the same ones that just uh fell asleep on them yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and then yeah, they're having a rough night yes uh, so um why do you think they felt it was necessary to show up with swords and clubs to take Jesus
2: Honestly, mm-hmm. mob mentality. Um, it reminds me, actually, of um,
0: How to Kill a Mockingbird.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Um, which we covered on an episode of It's a Trap, which we'll link to in the show notes. Because it's a really good movie. Like, it's really good. Um, and there's a point in the movie where Atticus Finch is sitting outside of the holding cell of um, the man that he's defending on trial who's been obviously wrongfully um, accused um, because he was a black man and it was the South and this was set in, what, the 30s, I want to say?
1: Yeah, if not earlier. But yeah, I think 30s is correct.
0: Um, And anyways, this giant mob comes up because they're going to lynch this guy. And now they don't have swords and clubs, but they all it's easier to do something really stupid when anonymity is uh part of it. And I think that uh, that also applies here and they bring the swords and the clubs to show that they mean business and that they're, you know, Oh, we're really going to take this guy down. And, you know, no matter what happens, you know, we're going to do whatever it takes to bring this guy down. And I just, I genuinely think it comes down to mob mentality and trying to psych themselves up probably because some of them know what they're doing is wrong. Hmm. Probably not all of them. I'm sure I'm sure quite a few of them believed that this Jesus guy really had to go because he was shaking you know, things up mm-hmm. and it was not okay. But I guarantee there was at least a few that were just like, you know, I'm here because the boss told me to <laughs> and I really need my job. Um, but this doesn't seem kosher, to use a contextual word. <laughs>
1: So in that context of, and I agree with what you're saying, and I, because I think it's interesting that they show up with clubs and swords, and yet Judas is telling him the one I kiss is the man sees him. So there's like this sort of this di- um, <clears throat> juxtaposition. Juxtaposition, good word. Yes. Of okay, so Judas is going to walk up and kiss him, and that's going to be the time to go.
0: Yeah. I feel like I could be like, Hey, the tall guy right there in the red robe, him (laughs) in the middle. Yeah. The audacity to walk up and kiss him on the cheek and Oh, greetings rabbi. Like everything's fine. Don't mind the giant mob behind me. Yeah. I've always thought that was very interesting. And I kind of wonder if the greetings rabbi was said with like a really wicked grin on his face.
1: Oh, but then Jesus responds to him by saying, "Friend, do what you came to do so there's yeah, there's just like
2: yeah but i I mean, I don't know,
0: where we're speculating at this point, oh yeah, oh definitely. but I feel like if there was any subversive um subtext,
2: it came from Judas.
1: Yes, I would agree.
2: Because I genuinely feel like when Jesus says friend, he's
1: being genuine.
2: Because they spent how much? Three years
0: together?
1: Mm -hmm. At least, yeah, roughly. And even
0: though Judas turned out to be a giant, you know, butthead, you have to imagine that Jesus came to appreciate and actually enjoy him. Mm Mm-hmm. As Jesus is wont to do with everyone on the planet.
1: <laughs> well, and that was that was actually kind of my next question was so when Jesus chose Judas, um, do you think he saw potential in him and he was chosen in the same way that the other eleven were of, you know, there's there's potential here, there's upswing. Uh, best indicator of future success is past performance. You know no, all not. those all true. those kinds of things, um, or, and again, I know we've debated the whole human nature versus divinity and all that kind of stuff. Of, you know, he knew who he was. He knew he was getting, and he was just fulfilling prophecy. Or do you think it maybe unfolded a little bit more than that? And I, you, you kind of answered this already, I think, with what you said of, you know, calling him friend. It wasn't tongue-in-cheek for Jesus.
0: Yeah, I'm assuming it wasn't. Um, being tongue-in-cheek is not sinful, hence why we're probably going to make Jesus coming. Look busy t-shirts, because it's not a sin. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny. Much like the She-Bears t-shirts were funny. Um, <clears throat> I
2: guess what, comes, what it comes down to is when Jesus came to earth... he had to know the end game, but did he know the details?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, because I, for me, that changes things because if he knew for all eternity, that it was going to be Judas and he still picked him anyways, again, that says a lot about who Jesus is and what he's about. And, uh, the other question then, because I feel like that has to be the case. If God is all-knowing, then he had to have known from the beginning of time that this is how it was going to go down. And these are the exact circumstances that was going to happen. Um, the other question then is, and this is one that I don't think we'll ever get an answer to and you know, unless Jesus is really forthcoming with the details in heaven. But like when he was born an infant
2: and he's fully God and fully two months old. (laughs) How does that work? Yeah. Does he still have... I mean, he has to, because he's fully God and fully man, but he's still in
0: the physical form of a two-month-old. So does that mean that (laughs) at that point he knew that in 33 years, six months, and 12 days, Judas is going to betray me? Or was he just like, okay, I'm hungry. Okay, I'm going to get to sleep. And not really, like, that's, again, something we're never going to know. But Mm-mm. to me, it's like incredibly interesting to think about. Jesus is a five-year-old.
2: Yeah. Was he just a normal five-year-old? Or was he perfect at everything? I mean no. Well, he had to be, Right. No.
0: He, well, not like... No, I know what you mean. He's not like a perfect uh craftsman, but
1: without sin. But being a child doesn't mean... Like, being ornery or mischievous no, that's, it's is not, not sinful. Correct. It's not. But my point is, like,
0: even... Okay, at, f- at five, you're able to understand...
1: Right. Right and wrong.
0: 95% or... of what's going on on the planet. Yeah. Physics, calculus, and, you know, world economics, maybe, aside. Yes. Everything else you can understand relationships like you've pretty much figured it out. Now those relationships change Mm -hmm. as you get older, but you figured out how to piss someone off and how to make (laughs) someone happy. And that's about it. Right. Yeah. So at that point, when he's that old, does he then realize, Oh, this is where my life is going. This is, this is exactly what's going to, and again, this is one of those, you know, um, uh, academic exercises or intellectual exercises. I should say that we don't have any way to answer. No. But it's interesting, because here he knows exactly what's going to happen. He told Judas, or he told the disciples, you know, someone here is going to betray me, the next one who dips, or whatever. And then Judas goes, is it I? And he goes, you have said so. So like, that's like the point in the movie where like, they lock eyes and like the lights kind of dim and the the tense music comes up and you feel yourself getting really uncomfortable. Like that is the point in the movie where everyone else goes, oh, except for the disciples of course, because they have no <laughs> idea what's going on.
1: Yes. Um. So yeah, and I don't want to get too much into this because we'll hit it later, I think, in twenty seven. But I think Judas's reaction to what he does indicates a true remorse of just devastation for what he has done that leads me to believe that it wasn't always that way. Like he was a follower of Jesus, you know? Um, Yeah. It is really easy to vilify him, you know, because and I think we may have touched on this before, but he may be there when we get to heaven. I don't think there's anything that,
0: <laughs> Sorry, I just got this picture. I'm totally gonna ruin your serious point here. I apologize. <laughs> Could you imagine like walking through the pearly gates, and then you're just sitting there. You look over, and Jesus and and Judas are sipping on my ties with their feet up. Like, <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> yes, <laughs> what? Yes, <laughs> silly umbrellas on their drinks. You know, oversized sunglasses.
1: Well, and that's you know, it's it's really funny that you even say that because I'm I'm thinking of a a Twitter post uh that I just saw here fairly recently. Oh, I'm not going to be able to pull it up fast enough. Um, But uh, I've mentioned, I think, Nadia Boltz Weber before. And um, one of the things that she posted. No, it's probably going to be further back, too, than I. It's okay. With the power of
2: editing, it will appear instantaneously for our listeners.
1: Yeah, so Nadia Boltz Weber has this tweet that says We all come back from the grocery store to the site of Jesus chatting it up at the well with Steve Bannon. Jesus is the worst. So yeah, it was it was one of those that I was like, Ooh, that is so convicting. <laughs> like I was like, I I wanna go, Jesus wouldn't do that. But
0: well, Who knows, who knows Steve Bannon's eternal
1: destination other than God. Other than God, but again, Jesus would probably be chatting it up with him if they... Oh, if he's there, yeah, Yeah. because
0: all of of the bad things about us go away. So I'm sure in heaven, Steve Bannon would be a lovely (laughs) fellow. Here? I don't know the guy all I see is the news headline so it's hard to Exactly. It's hard to pass good judgement on him here, but that's without knowing him and, you
2: know. Luckily I don't have to. Not my job. It's above nope. my pay grade by a lot.
1: It's funny that you say that. Well,
0: I'm a funny guy Dave. <laughs> Anyway, why is it funny that I say that? Because you I was just leave a- <laughs> I was just
1: listening, okay, so I was listening to Michael Ware's book about, oh, no, what's the name of his book? Reclaiming Hope. Reclaiming Hope, is that what it was? I think so. Uh, So I was listening to it, and um, Reclaiming Hope, Michael Ware, W-E-A-R, worked in the Obama administration, and he was talking about an answer that Obama gave to abortion. And he began his response by, well, that is above my pay grade. And uh, Michael Ware, who, as I was telling Cam earlier, makes no effort to justify or uh, defend Obama's faith. I think he feels like that's his, Obama is who he is. He believes what he believes. It's not Michael Ware's place to defend his faith. But basically said, that was the one time I really saw him just absolutely whiff on an answer. Because he is usually so on. Aware of who his audience is and how he's responding to it, and that whole well, that's above my pay grade, really is kind of this glib, flippant answer that Obama generally didn't give on things. And for it to be such a core issue like um, abortion, no
0: one one gets their feelings hurt when you talk about abortion, yeah. And he (laughs) just
1: said it was, it was just one of those one time, it was one of the few times he saw him. Uh, Obama really just kind of off his game. Now, he eventually came back to the party line, and 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 uh, and for the record, Michael Ware uh, is a Christian who worked in the Obama administration and is not a pro-choice person and does not believe that abortion is something that Christians should support. But um, obviously, it's part of the Democrat platform, and it was one of the things... In the book that he wrestles with, I haven't gotten to that point yet, but he says, or to that part of the book yet, but he does say, I'll give you my insight on how I deal with this. So I'm interested to see how that goes.
0: Well, I'm glad to know that me and and, uh, (laughs) President Obama, you know, have similar ability to whiff on.
1: Put our foot in our mouth. (laughs) Yeah. Gives me hope, Dave. Gives me hope. The audacity of.
0: Mm, Yes, it's been reclaimed indeed.
1: (laughs) So jesus uh betrayal and arrested uh, so okay, so yeah, after the friend,
0: do what you came to do and and behold, I wish I could say that more in my life, and behold, I shall take a medium latte <laughs> I, I don't know, uh and one behold, of those the email I've sent to you exactly, <laughs> <laughs> one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. It is such an overly dramatized sentence. I stretched out my hand and I drew my sword and I separated his ear from his face.
2: Yes. It just, it's a really weird detail to include. It, it is. And i totally out of the blue. It's never mentioned again.
0: It's like a really precise, like a dude missing an ear. That's a really precise detail. Isn't the the one of those who were with Jesus, the name is not given. We all assume it's Peter because he's rash and does dumb things. Mm-hmm. Um, I shouldn't say dumb. He does, he does, uh, he is impulsive. And so it makes sense that he would be the one that, but then there's the sons of Zebedee. Who were also, I mean, they were called the Sons of Thunder, which if I was ever a tag team in pro wrestling, Sons of Thunder, probably. And we come down to the ring to the Days of Thunder soundtrack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
1: buddy. Uh, I had a brief stint with congregational ministry, and I did men's stuff. And I so, like, tried to talk everybody into calling it Sons of Thunder, and yeah, it just didn't fly. So, but I think if you were a wrestler, you could probably probably get away with that. So I I I'm having this like a couple of different things with this verse of I feel like Peter does get called out in one of the gospels as the person who wields the sword. And if you were to ask me about this particular verse, I would not have said that he drew his sword. I would have said he grabbed the sword. From one of the others, but then Jesus says, "Put your sword back." I know, in I know. Place. I I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> I'm just saying my memory is. I I feel like, um, he thieved I, it. I, I feel like I feel like Peter gets called out in one of the gospels, and, um, I feel like there's maybe a conflict of details. Um in the other gospel, but I can't tell you what that would be at this point.
0: Well, it's also really weird too, because at this point it doesn't seem like anyone's fighting. They're all just no, no, no. Yeah. They're like doing the middle (laughs) school thing, like puffing (laughs) their chests out and standing across the field from each other. Like, what are you going to do? Huh? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then this dude's just like, and ear slice. Like it just, it's so (laughs) weird. I find it to be one of the more, just bizarre little little pieces of information.
1: Yeah, but, and the in Jesus, I, I do know, I think in Luke that he puts the ear back on. Uh, and even in that, I just have like this okay, you got a bloody ear. And it's they're in the Garden of Ghsemane still, still, so it probably falls on the ground and gets dirt on it. So is five, Jesus five second Is, rule, is, is Jesus fine. like blowing the dirt (laughs) off this ear before he sticks it back on the guy uh.
0: I I feel like if you can just stick an ear back on a dude you don't have to worry about the dirt yeah the dirt is probably not an issue that would be quite I can put your ear back on but it has to be perfectly disinfected and pure before (laughs) I can do so otherwise it will fester from within and fall off in three days
1: and rise again (laughs) uh Okay, so I'm in the book of John, and it says, "Then, So in eight, so John 18.10, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants and cut off his right ear. And that even tells us the servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Which, I'm even having this moment of, like, the disciples had swords? And they had them in sheaths? On I mean, it's like, wow.
0: Very Knights of the Round Table, huh?
1: Kind of hardcore there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, well, coming from a man who wears a firearm on his hip
2: all day. Uh, Don't bring a sword to a gunfight, right, Dave? That's Yes. All right, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, do you think that I cannot appeal to
0: my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Okay, what if he had done that?
1: That would have been cool. No, but, <laughs> but would but would God have sent them? Uh, I had that same thought when you were reading it. I was like, really? Would he really send it? Because that would defeat the whole purpose.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's kind of a conundrum as well.
1: Yeah, because he... because. I had that same thought, and then he even kind of answers that question uh, before he even...
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, verse 54. Yeah.
1: Yep. So that was... But I I had that that same like, sort of like, hmm, would he have done that? Well,
2: no. But
1: how then should the scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? And I don't know how many a legion is. Is it a thousand,
2: uh, I believe so. <laughs> I usually just settle on a whole lot, a whole lot.
0: Oh no, no, no! A typical legion, a five thousand one hundred and twenty. Yeah, a really nice round
2: number, five thousand one hundred and twenty. Up to up to six thousand. So. That that gives context to the what is your name? My name is Legion,
0: for we are many. Yes. I feel like many is an understatement. We are larger than most small towns in every country. <laughs>
1: that is crazy. Heck, that's that's like 600, three 000? times the
0: size of my college. Sorry, university. Mm-hmm. Huh. You imagine, that's 12 legions. Quick math, that's 60, over 60,000. Yeah,
1: 70, almost 70,000. That is,
2: I feel like one angel is terrifying
0: enough because what do the angels always say when they show up in the Bible?
2: Do not be afraid. Yeah,
0: they don't look like precious moments. Safe bet. Yeah, safe bet.
2: Uh, 60,000 of them coming down from the sky. I might need a new pair of pants. Just saying. (laughs) Like most likely. Yeah. Not
1: really an important fact. Just thought I would share that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And even in that, I just, you know, I just even have this sense of, you know, there is this side of God, um, of justice. And I, I, you know, uh, the angels, uh, b- being like warriors, you know, I mean, it's not like, like you said, it's not like 60,000 precious moments showing up. We're talking 60,000 of, um, Gerard Butler in is that his name, Gerard Butler, in 300? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, that's what I'm picturing.
2: Man, they're all really handsome
1: and they have eight packs. <sighs> Rough life. And yeah. they can fly.
2: That let's not forget that. <laughs> um.
1: Yeah. Yes. I mean, even sixty thousand John Travoltas in the movie Michael. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Their heads are all so big. Uh, then they'd all be Scientologists, and that would just be weird.
1: Yeah. Have you seen that movie, Michael? Yeah. No. Yeah, he smokes cigarettes and I'm
0: just picturing an angel dancing like an uh Saturday Night Fever. That's
1: well, it's more like pulp fiction. Oh gosh. It's more like the John Travolta pulp fiction than Saturday Night Fever.
2: Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then we get to uh Jesus
0: his one jab here. At the hour, uh Oh absolutely. He says, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching and you didn't seize me. But all this has taking place that the scriptures of the prophets could be fulfilled. Like you knew where I where I am. It's not hard to find me. There's always people where I'm at. I'm teaching, I'm you could have come and gotten me anytime you wanted. But here we are in the middle of the night and you've got your little pitchforks and your yes, c- clubs and you know whatever else you've got. And it's just his shot of saying like, "Okay. I know what you're up to. You guys are cowards, but let's just get this over with." And I think it's it's a very Jesus way of pointing out the truth of the
2: situation in uh depending on how um present you are subtle or not so subtle terms yes very much so
1: so yeah and then from that point Jesus really just says all this has taken place that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled um yeah i it just it that never ceases to amaze me um Again, I, it, and it even just reminds me of, as, as we've done this and we have spent um, well over two years in the book of Matthew, just how rich scripture is and how we so need the totality of Genesis to, to Revelation and who God is and his story. Um, in his big picture, because there are so many things, and I've heard all kind of analogies as to how it it plays out, but just the number of prophecies that are fulfilled by Jesus are astronomical, and it's not by chance. I mean, it is truly just a phenomenal, um, phenomenal percentage. I don't even know if percentage is the word that I'm looking for just a large number of prophecies that are fulfilled. Um, And it's beyond any kind of chance that would ever happen. But just this God working throughout history and everything in the old Testament really like pointing towards Christ. And um, I think we forget that. I think we forget that the old Testament is still relevant and still plays an important part in our faith today. And that just because Jesus came and we have the New Testament doesn't mean that the Old Testament goes away. And that there's much to be uh mined out of the the Old Testament and again, like I said, we've we've hit on one book two years in Matthew. So you could spend a lifetime and not get to it all.
2: Yep, yeah, there's Every time you read it, it's got something new to reveal. Well, I think that's it for episode 95.
1: Other than the disciples fled and left him. Oh, yeah. Don't forget. (laughs) Well, we're going to cover that next week.
0: Hey, uh, thanks so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Check out the show notes supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 95. There's lots of goodies in this episode as far as quality linkage is concerned or or if you're listening on your mobile device chances are your podcast app has the show notes for you right there. Um, Again, get in touch. Say hello. Check out our Patreon
2: page patreon.com slash supermegacorp and we'll be back soon. See you later. Bye. Bye.